Oh, Sonic the Hedgehog, eh? So, yeah, like, uh, when this came out, like, I knew that they were working on it mm-hmm. because, you know, I, what was it, like, six or eight months ago, first poster or teaser poster came out and it was just, like, Sonic in silhouette on the poster. And the internet freaked out then yeah, because they didn't like how muscular his legs were. Mm-hmm. And then there was all these Photoshop jobs and, you know, the people made, you know, jokes at, at its expense for maybe about a week. And then it went totally, like, nothing was heard from it. And then here, this trailer drops this week, and people go even more insane. Like, <laughs> I, I would I would say it's it's equal to, if not more, freak out than Will Smith as the genie. Do you concede at least though? Like the Sonic in the movie looks incredibly nightmarish. Oh yeah, yeah. He doesn't look anything like the. He doesn't look anything like Sonic, the the original video game character. No, and like uh, with these strange sort of like eyes that are too small for the character yep. like or at least not what we expect the teeth um, the human teeth the um, legs the, the legs hands. which are yeah they've put a bit of musculature on them to make and it's all obviously done in an effort to like make sonic feel like he could exist in a live action human world you know because i guess they figure that a, a character with his spindly legs from the the original games wouldn't make sense in a, in a live action universe but who cares, though? We're dealing with a hedgehog, a blue hedgehog that moves faster than the speed of sound. So why does he have to be so, like, quasi-realistic? I agree. It's kind of like, even with the muscles that you put on his legs, there's no way he'd be able to run that fast anyway. So what are you trying to shoot for here? Exactly. Uh, and there's, like, there's so much to talk about with this. I almost think we should, let's do our intro and then come back afterwards and talk about it again a little bit uh, because I don't want I don't want it all be in the cold open or the cold open would be like five or ten minutes long. Okay, okay, fine. Hello and welcome to the show. This is the Extra Buttery Podcast, episode 49, our ninth episode of 2019. As you just heard, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog controversy. Uh, it's a bit of a weird one to start with, but seems to be burning up the, uh, the internet these days, so uh, we'll touch on that. But the two big banner topics in uh, this episode will be Avengers Endgame, big pop culture moment this year and worthy of a lot of discussion and episode three of season eight of game of thrones we'll be getting into that uh, huge battle scene lots of important stuff happens so there's a lot to talk about there as well but coming to you from toronto my name is robert snow and joining me from vancouver is my co-host jason chen how's it going good how are you yeah as we were saying in the cold open like the internet basically flipped out about uh, this uh, in a way that you know they do occasionally but i think the important thing here or the the detail that i was most fascinated by was how the director actually spoke up and said hey fans of sonic we hear you we respect you we're going to change this character before the movie comes out we're going to actually go in and change this preemptively which I don't think you, you hear about a whole lot in pretty much any movie. It, it feels like a little bit of a, a precedent-setting move. Well, I think people react, reacting negatively in the trailer and then them going back to fix it, I find it's fairly common. Do you remember the Bane dialogue in the original Dark Knight Rises trailer? Oh, yeah. It was pretty muffled. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so they went back and did ADR. What we haven't really seen is them basically completing the film and then going back and redoing the whole thing. Yeah. I can't for the life of me remember any film that's ever done that, like gone 
right back to the drawing board this late into the game. Yeah, with like six months to release or less. Exactly. And actually coming out ahead. In my sort of experience, every film that has done late reshoots or done late changes always comes out a sort of a lame product kind of cobbled together. Yeah. But from the trailer, the fact that it was even like synced to Gangster's Paradise <laughs> just tells me like this project has obviously been through so many hands and so many creative minds that it's hard to see where the connective tissue is. Yeah. And as a, like a long time fan of the video game is actually one of the first video games I've ever played. I'm kind of wary of Jim Carrey as well being Dr. Robotnik. He's gone back to like the 90s comic Jim Carrey, which may fit the tone of this film or it may not. But I'm very intrigued to see where they take it because I'm I'm not exactly sure what the plot would be. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's, you know, pretty uh, by the book's origin story where, you know, Sonic is unknown to humankind and then he does something to kind of get on the radar of the U.S. government. And yeah, uh, he, Robotnik is brought in as a consultant to kind of round up Sonic. He causes like blackouts or something and they have to hunt him down or something like that. The, the thing that people were also talking about, um, which is kind of interesting because it's it's happening sort of at the same time as a similar discussion in the uh, the video game industry. But this idea of like digital artist burnout and the way that CG artists these days are often like mm -hmm. they're, they're being expected to work like 14, 16 mm -hmm. hour days. Uh, sometimes they're not getting paid on time. Uh, the companies that they work for are just like kind of parachuted in uh, to do um, like flimsy contracts by Hollywood studios. And I feel like this decision by the uh production company to kind of kowtow to the the fans while you know it may get us a more authentic product um it kind of means that the lives of all people who are going to be working on this to fix it in post uh it's their lives are going to be hell for the next uh, few months well i mean i have a friend who works in sort of the cgi movie industry and they get paid quite a bit of a overtime so it's not so much the pressure of the work itself i think for them, it's kind of like the work-life balance that really suffers. But, and I think they, don't they, these like CGI movies sort of farm out their work to like... Yeah, for sure. Five to ten different companies. Like, it's not just, yeah, it's not just one studio that does it, um, all the CGI in-house. It's very rare for that to happen. No, that's true. So like, you know, there'll be one company that specializes in like fire and smoke effects. And there'll be another company that specializes in like digital backgrounds, mm -hmm. like set digital sets and stuff. And then there'll be another company mm -hmm. that's really good at doing characters. So I guess it'll be the whatever company is doing most of the work on the on the characters here that will uh, uh, probably have mm -hmm. the brunt of the work here. But but it was interesting to see on uh, online some of the conversations between people being like, yeah, like that they were saying, uh, from my perspective, working in the video game industry, for example, uh, I've been forced to uh, pull crazy hours and like never see my family um, and my health deteriorated and all this stuff. And they, they there's some worry that like, you know, if more and more movies try to appease the fans preemptively and change things last minute, it could set a really bad precedent for uh, for the movie industry. That and also movies and their sort of weird strictness to adhering to like strict deadlines i i get yeah. it um i get why they do it but i've always kind of like you remember when star wars and marvel came out with all these release dates for all these future films and what happens in the end is that because you've made all these grand bold promises you end up rushing productions so han solo that 
Star Wars story is definitely one of them, I feel like. Rogue One was delayed because there's like multiple reshoots, multiple rewrites. Um, and I think that film suffered for it. So maybe it's good that Sonic for them is just like the appearance of the character that most people have a yeah, a yeah. bone to pick with. It's not like a major plot issue. So I feel like you would hope. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. So maybe they dodged a bullet there. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, well, we'll definitely have to see in November. I mean, <laughs> I'm not paying to watch this. Rob. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Like <laughs> if I'm not using scene points or if I'm not getting it for free in some way, then it's it's not happening. Yeah, um, exactly. And that's uh, prestige month, eh? like November. That's when yeah. you got. That's when you got all these other great dramas and and thrillers coming out. Yeah, so. I got to prioritize my time, man. Like, uh, <laughs> as much as I want to see a train wreck in action, like uh, this, uh, I don't know. We I just don't know saw if... one in Hellboy. I think we're good for now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe I'll just cram in a, another quick little discussion on uh, uh, because we're on the topic of uh, movies being changed at the last minute. Sure. Um, have you heard at all about uh, Doug Liman's project Chaos Walking? No. So this is a sci-fi. Uh, YA or young adult uh, adaptation based on some series of books that I was not familiar with. Is this the one that Constance Wu just signed on? May, she might have done on, in like a minor role, but the two leads in this in this movie are actually Daisy Ridley from Star Wars and Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man. Okay, yes. Okay, I briefly heard about this through Daisy Ridley, but I don't know much. Anyway, go ahead. So basically, like this movie, I think they released an initial like promo shot of Holland and Ridley in costume, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe even two years ago. And I was like kind of wondering what was going on with it because, you know, I've, I like Doug Lyman. I really liked uh, Edge of Tomorrow, for example. I liked the, his work in uh, the Firstborn movie. Yes. Um, so, you know, he's a filmmaker that I'm that I'm interested in. And every so often I'd check his IMDb page and I'd see this reference to Chaos Walking and it said, oh, it's going to come out in March of 2019. Confirmed. This is the release date. And we get closer and closer and closer. There's no additional promo shots. There's no trailer. Um, so, you know, obviously anyone who watches the industry is like, hmm, this isn't shaping up too good. You know, clearly something's wrong. And then finally, it gets to be a few weeks ago and they uh, they make the or the news breaks that the project in its current state is unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> and multiple executives have come and viewed it, and they say that they, they just can't release it in its current state. It'll be such a waste of uh, money for them that they would rather it stay on the shelf. So what's wrong with it? Nobody knows, but basically they're they're launching into some pretty expensive reshoots now. Like uh, both Holland and Ridley apparently have posted on Instagram about their, they're going back to the set. You know, they're dressing up in costume again in some kind of mad attempt to fix the thing, which is too bad because the, the concept is, you know, it's got a dystopian sci-fi thing, which I tend to go for. For. I like both of them as actors. Doug Lyman again, like I like him as a filmmaker. So uh, it seems like they just didn't crack the the story such that it is, or you know maybe that's t- uh, the material's too dense. We'll have to see now, like how much longer it's going to be before this thing finally comes out, and whether they can save it at all because it could be a really embarrassing flop uh, otherwise. Well, if they don't think they can save it, then they wouldn't have done all the reshoots, right? So on some level, they think it's a salvageable project. Sure, like maybe they can um, uh, sell it to Netflix or something, because <laughs> like Netflix has been a savior of of many a kind of mediocre film uh, recently um, because it sometimes it's it's better to sell it to Netflix 
than to risk a lot of money making a lot of digital prints and putting it into theaters and uh, putting a lot of money in marketing behind it. Fair enough. But what's the what's in it for Netflix? Oh, well, I guess Netflix could just add it as one of their original movies, and you know. The, the, but I don't think it benefits Netflix to add shitty original movies. You know, well, define shitty though, because they've posted, they've published a whole lot of stuff recently. That's well, like, well, okay, that's like mid tier. You know, it's not, it's not super innovative but it's got like great actors in it and essentially they just figure if they put it in front of all of their millions of of subscribers all in one day that it'll find an audience that it wouldn't find in a traditional theater distribution yeah i get that so they'll find an audience but as an audience if the quality of netflix originals keeps going downhill i'm just never gonna watch it sure yeah they lose their credibility so for something like Bright, where they produced it and wrote it themselves, they made their own grave. But as a studio, I'm not sure why they would purchase a shitty film unless they believe it has like some sort of like cult potential, like The Room or something. I don't know. I mean, I feel like they're in such a mad dash to to acquire stuff that they're not really exercising that level of scrutiny. Well, I hope they do so because it could turn out pretty bad for them. Because like, I think about some of the stuff that I've seen pop up recently, like there was a Stanley Tucci vehicle called The Silence that you know, had a mm-hmm. handful of recognizable people in it, but nobody's talking about it, but I, they just posted it, you know. And I think Netflix's best programming are their original documentaries, except especially about food. They just released new ones, street food, right? So yeah, for sure. But we're, we're getting like off track now. The whole point of this episode <laughs> was to talk about Endgame and Game of Thrones, like two, I think of the most mainstream, big budget cultural touchstones i think you could call it yeah like pop culture moments yes exactly that i think has never ever been done at this scale no avengers endgame by the way has already cracked two billion dollars so i believe it has already passed titanic so the only one it has to gun for now is avatar and i believe we're only what less than we're less than two weeks into its initial release run yeah so there's still like you know there could be as many as eight or nine maybe even ten weeks left to go uh before it'll leave theaters entirely so that's more than enough time to to pass avatar if if something pretty crazy would have to happen to to stop that from breaking the record Uh, how do you want to do this do you want to talk uh spoilers right out of the gate because when this episode comes out the official ban on spoilers as described by the russo brothers the filmmakers there's an official uh, timeline of ban well how long is this i've never heard about they went on the good morning america last week and they said all right the ban for spoilers in their opinion was going to lift on monday may the 6th which would be okay so we're we're fine even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We both saw it opening weekend, and I know yep. that for a fact that we have kind of... We're in consensus that it's a pretty good film, but I think where we diverge is where the film ranks and what the strengths of this film are. So you tell me what you thought of the film first, because I think you liked it as usual, a little more than me. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, on Letterboxd, for example, I'm going like uh, 4.5 out of 5. Not because I feel like it's a near perfect film, but just because... See, that's the interesting part. But yeah, go ahead. Because Uh for me, it was like, it was an example of like pure entertainment where there's not a lot happening there on a filmmaking level that's Mm. super like fresh or innovative. You know, if you've seen any of the past 21 Marvel movies, you know what you're getting with this. For me, it was just that the kind of like itch being scratched of all of these character moments. Yeah, I agree. And I I point this out in my review for Kinetoscope where, you know, from the for the past like 21 movies, there's always been a handful of scenes, either mid credits or end credits that 
are setting up something in the future. And that thing that they're setting up is this movie. So this movie then kind of delivers on all of those little breadcrumbs and it, it closes off all of these threads and it gives you arguably more moments to just sort of hang out with the characters and, and have fun with them than it does, you know, resolving a particular narrative. Right. Um, it does resolve the cliffhanger. That was probably its biggest goal coming out of infinity war. It resolves the cliffhanger of what happened to all of the, the heroes who were temporarily dusted, mm-hmm. but it gives you so many like just stupid fan service moments that, that are kind of like junk food, like Fat Thor. I love Fat Thor. He's my, <laughs> he's my favorite version of Thor now, uh, at least until like Thor comes back in maybe the the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Right. Just such a, a fun way to to take his character, you know, from you look at uh, how like brash and self-obsessed he was in the very first Thor. And now he's kind of like dejected and self-pitying and just yeah. totally gross. But um, hanging out playing Fortnite with uh, his friend Korg on the uh, the couch in New Asgard. Like, well, don't forget Meek too. Well, Meek's there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't forget about Meek. But yeah, moments like that or, or Professor Hulk, like this is kind of, I think, the, the reward that all the fans probably wanted uh, from kind of sitting through all of the, you know, halfways well-plotted stuff that's come before. So on Letterboxd, I went four out of five. And I agree with you that this is very much a final chapter on basically 11 years of buildup. But I don't really rate a film or rank a film based on how many, you know, fan service moments it has. I don't, I'd even hesitate to call them fan service moments because I think all the moments, including Captain America and Iron Man and all that, you know, sentimental stuff and all the one-on-one superhero time you get wouldn't have had the same impact had you not had the 11 years of buildup. So in sort of judging this film, it was very hard for me to separate it from Infinity War. I think Infinity War has a much more compelling storyline and villain. Endgame is sort of the second half of it. So it wraps up a lot of the cliffhangers, as you said. Yes. But because it brings back Thanos as a villain, it has a bit of a villain problem where he becomes basically one of those villains where he's just like, I'm going to destroy everything. And I I had problems with that. Just because it's too one note. Like, we go from a guy who has a, you know, a poorly defended, but, you know, an understandable, maybe not even understandable is the right word. Like, you know, he he believes that yeah. uh, life is eating up too many resources in the universe, so he's yes. going to kill half of it, which is, like, unthinkable and totally, like, despicable. But, but there are some people who can kind of wrap they, they can wrap their minds around that logic of like trying to cut back on excess and and find a more sustainable way to live so all of those mm-hmm. those motivations make sense even if his uh choices don't and yeah and the, and then in this one it's more about just like throwing him against all of the various heroes until the heroes win yeah and there's so much character moments that Mostly, I think, are confined to the original cast. So, it's Fat Thor, Iron Man being old, Captain America being nostalgic. But by the end, because you spend so... And Black Widow and and, and Professor Hawk, you spend so much time with these characters that everyone else gets like three minutes of screen time and that's it. Like Chris Pratt barely says like five words in it. Does he even say anything? I don't even know. I don't even know if Black Panther says a word of English in it. I think he just goes Wakanda forever and does like war cry and they all kind of like you know, rush at Thanos. Right, yeah. Um, I do feel like it's a very well done film. It didn't feel like three hours long, but I just, from a storytelling perspective, didn't feel like it was very compelling. 
didn't feel like it was fresh or new. I didn't feel like the stakes were as high as Infinity War. But then again, like I, you, you really have to watch these two films as one. It's kind of like if you had to um, subjectively rate or objectively rate Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Part 2, it's really hard to do because they're one film. Yeah. It's not like Kill Bill where like tonally and, and story-wise they're completely different with just a bit of connective tissue. You really have to invest your time into these like six-hour stories. True. Yeah, I will agree with you there. Like the, the, the ending of Infinity War is abrupt enough that it, you know, if we're, if we're talking about like standalone movies or movies that can be watched on their own, and form, you know, what we would traditionally call a complete, complete in air quotes, mm-hmm. uh, narrative, then yeah, like Infinity War isn't like a complete film in that sense. And neither is Endgame, you know, they, yeah. kinda, they work together. So I agree with you there. I will say, though, as far as character send-offs go, I kind of knew that either Iron Man or Captain America would die. Yep. But their send-off with Captain America was very well done. Yes, I agree. Yeah. The only issue I had is... Why the fuck does he give the shield to Falcon and not freaking Winter Soldier? <laughs> like, what's what's Falcon going to do with the shield? He's, he's like a normal person without super strength and he's got wings. Like, shouldn't it go to Winter Soldier who has like, a, who is a super soldier and maybe knows how to use the shield a bit better? Like, I get that the Falcon is more symbolic of, you know, America. But I always thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, well, I think uh, there's uh, there's probably been different runs of this in uh, in the comics, but I think there was one where uh, Sam the, the the Falcon becomes Captain America. There was one where the Winter Soldier, uh, Bucky Barnes, becomes Captain America. Yes. So I think they you know they could have gone either way, but then if, from the way they've kind of used Bucky. Uh, up mm-hmm. to this point, especially the time that he spent recovering in Wakanda, they seem to be going down a path of towards of turning Bucky into a character known as uh, White Wolf. Yes. So if he becomes White Wolf, then I don't think he can also be Captain America. The other thing I kind of want to talk about was time travel yeah. in this movie. I, I hate time travel in movies because it just it makes my mind wander. Like it, it becomes sort of like a, a whole new discussion of its own. Yeah, it's a it's a license to print money narratively because you know as a device it doesn't make any sense right anyway and no matter how much characters talk their way around it it never really makes sense and it's kind of just a way to to enable things that were previously impossible yeah so two things one is that obviously loki's coming back he's not dead or at least for a disney plus show yes but uh, the fact that they think that he disappears with the tesseract i think is a hint that he's going to come back yeah and he's not going to be like the new reformed Loki. He's just going to be the old sniveling mischievous. Yeah. But was Loki ever truly reformed anyway? Like even at the end of... Ra- I think that was the whole point of Infinity War. Like in that timeline, he had reformed. And in that timeline, that Loki, I think, was definitively killed by Thanos. True. But then like even that version of Loki, like like he survived the Ragnarok, like the end of the, the destruction of Asgard and stuff. But it, I don't think anybody truly trusted him. No, no, of course not. But I do think that him trying to kill Thanos, I think, was basically a move for self-preservation and basically to save, save Asgard along with it. So maybe that's it. My second question would be, so if Captain America goes back to the 70s or whatever it was, no, not the 70s, the time of Peggy Carter, it was 40s. Yeah, so like late what? 40s, early 50s, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if he goes back and stays there, and he sends old man Cap back. How does that work? Which timeline is old man Cap from? And what about the actual, the other America in the 1950s timeline original? Well, I think what, so what they're saying is that, and 
you know, this may also not make any sense, but basically Captain Captain America, we followed his adventures up until the point where he goes back in time at the end of Endgame. And at at that point, he's got all the Infinity Stones with him and he's got to put them back where they got them yes. in uh, across time and space. And I think like Hulk or somebody says to him before he goes, like, take your time. Like, obviously, you don't have to rush. We're not an, on any kind of time limit. You can you can hop around and put them back in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And so he does that. Like, he goes and, and restores all the stones. But then he thinks to himself, well, hey, like, I'm owed a little bit of a life, too. So then he meets up with Peggy, ostensibly, like, gets married. You know, they have a whole healthy life together and they live till, you know, mm-hmm. he looks to be, like, what, 70 or 80 or something when he when he pops back. So I think, like, he just makes the choice to not return to the time that he left until he's lived a full life. I see. Okay. All right. Because that was kind of confusing. And I, I, I guess you could just be like, oh, well, he knew what to do with the stones and he didn't screw anything up. See ya. Which is, like, you know, honestly, probably one of my favorite emotional parts of the whole movie like uh the jokes uh-huh. and everything aside as a character you know he's he's probably suffered more than others or you know not been allowed to to live a normal like non-superhero life uh, as far as what we've seen in the movies mm-hmm. um whereas like you know tony stark was able to go off and have a family for a while with pepper and a few of the other characters had like you know, alter ego lives, but uh, Cap didn't. So the fact that, you know, they they kind of say goodbye to Chris Evans in that way is so uh, was a nice touch. You know, and I think that was true of a few of the mm-hmm. other goodbyes, too. Like certainly Tony Stark's one made sense. You know, he he was also like, you know, narratively, it was satisfying. A few people have complained that Black Widow's goodbye wasn't very good, but um, she's also getting her own. What, what happened to well, her she again? like dies on Vormir or something. Right. Oh, yeah. OK, so. That was a uh, that was definitely the one I like the one twist I didn't see coming at all. Right, because I think the people figured because they'd announced a, a solo Black Widow movie, which will also have David Harbour in it, incidentally, that she was going to survive Endgame. But I think they're well, that would be a prequel. Well, so. people weren't weren't definitively sure because like they haven't talked about the plot at all of this one. So she could have uh-huh. like uh, survived Endgame and then that movie would happen chronologically after Endgame or it could have been a prequel. But now we know it's a prequel. The part two where like her and Jeremy Renner kind of like doing like a cliffhanger kind of deal where like, no, you die. No, you die. No, you die. <laughs> that went on for like maybe one or two moves too long where I was just like, dude, just someone please just die. Yeah. Please. Yeah. But it to its credit though, like I said this to my friend who I watched it with, like it didn't feel like a three-hour movie, so kudos to them. Yeah, there there are definitely movies that have hit that runtime when you're where you're feeling like it's six hours. So yeah, the and and I think your your mileage may vary. Obviously, if um if you haven't seen it yet and you're listening to the podcast and somehow you've <laughs> listened through all these these spoilers, but the, the you know I've I saw a few people complaining that it was too long or you know that they weren't yeah you know, for one reason or another they just weren't invested in the Marvel stuff and for the amount of narrative storytelling it covers, yeah, it doesn't need to be that long. But I mean, if you want to give Thor and Iron Man and every single character sort of their own moments, I mean, that's in half half an hour each for the, each of them with like four or five characters that you have to service. So yeah, there's like what sixty characters or more. So yeah, something like that. That's why so many of them appear for like two minutes and then they're done. Exactly, and and who knows? I mean, maybe they'll they'll all get their chance at having bigger parts now that Cap and Tony are gone. Were you surprised that Natalie Portman showed up? Apparently, that was unused footage from Dark World. It's, people had asked her whether she was going to be in Endgame, and she kind of like she didn't have an answer for them or did didn't know or something like that yeah because it's kind of like yes kind of no yeah but it 
she yeah so they just reuse some footage but yeah i i don't think uh, she's mentioned a few times that her experience making the the first two thor movies wasn't very good for her like she just doesn't enjoy making those kind of blockbuster movies so well also because there was a huge controversy remember patty jenkins was hired to direct it. yeah she was angry about that yeah which is totally totally valid but so yeah i guess they you know they had the rights to use that last little chunk of footage of her it's also really funny that it took them three movies to figure out what chris hemsworth thor should be like <laughs> I think the first film, they were kind of like, hey, there's here's this Thunder God. Let's kind of make him sort of like Superman and fish out of water. The second film we won't even talk about because it's not worthwhile. Uh, but by the third time, like Chris Hemsworth, who's a really funny actor, by the way, has really settled into this like Lebowski surf dude type Thor. Oh, man. The Lebowski joke. I, I love that to death. Like, <laughs> um, But overall... I, this does mark like the end of the Marvel chapter and I'm glad that they ended it on their terms and not anyone else's. I mean, I know we're going to get like a bunch of sequels coming out. Oh, sure. And there'll be all this content for Disney Plus. And, you know, there's many ways in which Endgame works as like a giant three hour trailer for Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Was it bittersweet for you walking out of the theater knowing that that was like the last time you'll ever see Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man? And Captain America. Uh, not especially. I mean, I uh, I kind of take the macro view where, you know, I'm glad that they they were able to exit the franchise on their own terms. And mm-hmm. um, they came up with endings that are, you know, it's a good balance. You get like one major death in the death of Iron mm-hmm. Man. And you get one character kind of, you know, ending his story, but not like dying. He just, you know, he gets to live out his life in a in a way that matters to him. So that. Yeah. Well, two major deaths, right? Black Widow is one of them. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> see, we always forget about her death and her sacrifice. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, well the, uh, she hasn't existed in her own solo movie yet. It's hard to, to really care about her. That's a fault on like Feige and uh, some of the other producers because they've resisted doing a solo Black Widow movie and giving us material to really make us care about her. I do wonder why they never really came up with a Black Widow movie, solo movie, until after Avengers, but neither here nor there. I do think, though, that all the original members of the first Avengers film, I feel like she's definitely one of the founding members. So her death was kind of bittersweet. I do found it bittersweet, though, that because, like, the casting, I think, was so pitch perfect. It was was kind of sad to see them leave in that sense because I don't there's a feeling that any new iteration of Iron Man and Captain America would just never live up to this. Are you sure? Because I mean, there's uh, the, there are versions of them in the comics that are kind of interesting. Like there was a there's a version. Right, but of- who else would you play play them? Who else would play them? That's my thing. Well, it wouldn't be Tony Stark. It would be another character who takes up the mantle. Okay, th- yeah. So that's different though. But I mean, twenty years from now, if they decide to reboot it. It wouldn't be the same without Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, we, we talk all the time about various Batman that we've liked. You know, I, I always like Christian Bale as Batman and I like uh, Michael Keaton, you know. Yeah, the first ones. Yeah. If you ask hardcore Pat- Batman fans, the one and only true ba- Batman is Kevin Conroy. Right. Of course. Yeah. From the animated series. But and no, no other voice actor would probably ever come close. Yeah. to him. I don't know. I feel like I'm not so prescriptive in in the way I kind of watch this stuff where I'm like, if in 10 or 20 years, they have to recast Tony Stark, you know, as long as that actor stay true to the essence of the character while doing their own thing, I think it's totally fine. You mean you didn't like Halle Berry's Catwoman? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's kind of like uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like, it'd have to be someone really drastic and a whole new interpretation of the character for me to see someone else in that role. 
just because Hugh Jackman had played it for so long and had really made it into his own and had captured some of the qualities of Wolverine in the comics, same as Tony Stark and uh, Iron right. Man. With, remember, without Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, and he wasn't even the first choice, right? John Favreau had to fight for him. Without him as Iron Man, this whole franchise doesn't take off the ground. That's true. Yeah. I mean, if they had gone with somebody else like Tom Cruise at one point, if Tom Cruise had been, had done it, you know, maybe this yeah. wouldn't have been the, the level that it is. Exactly. Tom Cruise already killed that Universal Monsters universe. So he <laughs> could have easily a, killed Marvel's universe before. He's a cinematic took universe killer. Exactly. Right. Because his star is just too big and he just he takes up too much space with his name. It's just not his fault. It's just his stature alone overshadows everything else. But no, I think the, well, let's, let's think about like Joker movies, for example, like, you know, Jack Nicholson. Yep. Great. Heath Ledger. Great. Jared Leto. Yep. Terrible. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, potential to be great, right? Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, Maybe. also great. So I don't want to kind of sit here, you know, without knowing what's going to happen 10 years down the road or however long it is and kind of say that Rob, Robert Jenny Jr. is the one and only Tony Stark or Chris Evans is the one and only Captain America. You know, maybe Jacob Tremblay will be the next great Captain America. You don't know. No, he's too sensitive. But he, bet, but he could be like, he could turn into a, like a hulking rage dude. Like and, Neville Longbottom? Longbottom. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I honestly think that like Joker is different because that's a character that's always been open to interpretation. There's never been like one Joker that's really uh, encompassed every single Joker that's ever been created. Whereas Iron Man has always been this like really smart, high tech scientific genius dude with, uh, with a big ego. Captain America, I can see being replaced because he, I think he's just a more golden boy character and you can find a lot of those, but the right amount of assholeness and the right amount of charisma, it's hard to do that for Iron Man. It's something that only a decade of hard drugs and uh, alcohol can do to a person. No, no, hey, you know what? The Iron Man in the comics went through the same phase. So I think there's there's something to be said about the two characters being so similar that they were meant to basically Robert Downey Jr. was meant to play this guy. Shia LaBeouf? As Iron Man? No way. No, no. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. I, if Shia LaBeouf was Iron Man, could you, his armor would just be like the craziest mishmash <laughs> of different things you've ever seen. It, it'd probably like have like homeless clothes yeah. on it. No, I'm just saying like, you know, if, if we're talking about actors who, who have substance abuse problems who uh who may have a comeback then you know hey why why stop there why not go to like gary Busey as iron Man? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we have uh who's who's been to rehab a lot uh, uh, ben affleck he played a, he was a good bruce wayne yeah actually, so because because he had so much uh inner demons i guess but anyway i i think we got to move on because uh, game of thrones is another one that we need to discuss a bit more because i think for this episode, episode three that we just watched, I think it is more divisive between the two of us. The Night King is coming. The dead are already here. Start your really is. Uh, did you not like it or something? I, I honestly, no, I think that of all the game of thrones episodes we've seen especially including big battles th that was the worst one uh actually i kind of agree with you now that i think about it yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. like when you think about like if you think about hard home blackwater the set baylor being blown up even some of like the sort of minor battles but battles in the war of the five kings i thought those were way more well done than this one and the excursion to the north to capture white which to me still makes no sense <laughs> yeah but i think the broader 
argument, the broader topic for Game of Thrones is that I feel like it's kind of lost its way. That we started with this political drama, it became a fantasy epic, and now it's hard to revert back to that political drama. But if you're a fantasy epic, you have to follow certain rules, including having like a hero who's destined to be the hero. And so when you sort of subvert that expectation, it becomes unsatisfying. And I think that the whole episode, despite the long time rung length and like the frankly amazing visuals, I think it on a storytelling standpoint, it really, really fails. I was disappointed after kind of thinking about it a bit more about how this episode turned out. Yeah, I would, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> shocker. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, because uh, the, the the feeling that I couldn't shake the whole time I was watching this episode was it was done better in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I agree. Just the, the whole battle, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the beats. And they even borrowed a few beats from uh, the, the Battle of Minas Tirith in uh, Return of the King, I thought. Yeah. Um, certainly how, like, you know, they, they kind of have a, or a silver bullet, essentially, type happen where they, they knock out the chief bad guy and the whole thing falls apart. Um, and all of these characters survive. So yeah, there's uh, in terms of like the military side of it and the tactics and all those things that were done so well or were a lot more comprehensible at least in um, some of the other battles. You know, in the mm-hmm. Battle of the Bastards, like you've got a sense of like where everyone was on the battlefield, and mm-hmm. and that doesn't even have anything to do with like the cinematography and the lighting in this episode, which some people complained was too dark. The a cinematographer and the director kind of said, no, this was the intention, you know, um, and your mileage may vary again. It felt like there was a kind of a pretty rote kind of siege type battle going on, which is just kind of the vehicle for a few character choices that I don't know. They, it felt like they were, they were convenient. Yes. Okay. So let's break it up like down from top to bottom. I think you and I are both in agreement that when you have Brienne, Jamie, John, Fionn, and all these like supposedly great military minds gathered to form a game plan that the game plan they came up with was the absolute worst ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're like, oh, we're going to uh, toss all of our cavalry guys at uh, a force that we know is almost unstoppable. And uh, yeah, into the darkness. Yeah. Like without them charging at us when we're in like a, a, a at a position of strong defense they're just like yeah we just send out our cavalry into the cold open yeah yeah visually great it was awesome to see those little like candles basically kind of go out but the trebuchets being in front of the the trenches the the trenches themselves being lit on fire by a dragon when they should have had a plan b but the other thing is too were you as bothered by the fact that not as many named main characters died as you'd expect or as other people expected did that bother you? I, it didn't bother me that much. I wasn't bothered, no, because, I mean, you know, granted, you know, maybe I think we we all went into it feeling like a lot of people were going to die. And then when they don't, you kind of you're kind of especially some of like the secondary characters that we figured were goners. Like, like Grey Worm? Like Grey Worm or um, Varys or, right. um, you know, people whose whose arcs had pretty much ended um, and didn't really serve a huge purpose of. Uh, you know, for what we expect from the final episodes. Um, so yeah, like I, maybe, maybe it was just kind of like, it was a sense of relief mixed with kind of like, Oh, well I didn't get the, the kind of shock to the system that I expected. Uh, the show goes on for quite a bit. The battle actually is quite intense. Um, I actually really like the dragons kind of flying in the air and fighting each other. Yep. 
and the part where they break through from the blizzard and they're at the top and there's the moon shining down and there's just two dragons in the sky. I thought that was all well done. Yeah, that was a good shot. Yep. And then, so to break up all this action, they decided to insert a scene with Arya in the library running away from zombies in sort of like a horror genre. So the way they broke up the episode because they they were afraid that people were going to get war fatigue. So they inserted all these slower moments to break it up. I get why they focused on Arya. I know that she is a very much an important character and that she is um, vital to the plot against Cersei and the Night King. I wasn't sure how I felt about the horror scene. I felt that was a little tacked on. I felt like you could have replaced that with something else and it would have been just as effective in breaking it up. I, I didn't necessarily think this episode had to be 80 minutes. Did you enjoy that horror? I didn't have strong feelings about it. I felt like that that one actually, you know, I felt I, I was watching it with uh, with our friends uh, uh, Peter and uh, Kate, mm-hmm. and we uh, we were we were all in agreement that it was basically riffing on uh, the kitchen scene from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did they enjoy that scene though? Like, uh, yeah, we I think we all kind of came out of it being like, oh, okay, that was that was pretty solid. We, I don't think any of us were like floored by any part of it, other than maybe right. uh, the the surprise with uh, the Night King at the very end. Yeah, and there's just various inconsistencies about the whites and how powerful they are. So if you remember when they brought the white down to King's Landing, it was basically held in a freaking wooden box, like bound together by rope. Yeah. But now in the crypts, they're busting through walls. They're they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So I think one of the main things about this uh, episode was that there was no consistency consistency at all. And what was with the Night King being immune to dragon fire? I, I don't understand that. Like, isn't that a Targaryen thing? Like, am I missing something here? Is, did is they... he just too cold? <laughs> Maybe um, one of those like Willy Wonka was everlasting popsicles. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but like, are we missing something here, or do you think the writers really went off the rails in an attempt to build suspense and give you visually arresting an episode that they threw everything out the window? And there's a part of me that thinks that George R. R. Martin just fed him a bunch of like false information and just be like, here you go, here's how you write the show, but I'm going to do something completely different in my books. Oh, yeah, that would be funny, actually, if they if he totally like um, knifed them in the back with that. Um, I think they, they ultimately they just wanted to build up the fact that there's really only one way to take down the the uh, the night king and you know whatever you think you know about dragons you don't actually know okay so based on that though the reason why john came back to life the reason why melisandre came back was all because they wanted to help danny take the iron throne like i thought the whole point of the whole series is that there's this like mysterious army that you had to deal with because remember in the first cold open of season one it was about the white walkers yeah and then so throughout all the scenes they build this this thread up and they're like you know the iron throne doesn't matter cersei's crazy um it's humanity that we have to worry about that we have to band together and do all this so now that when you have Arya making the kill with granted you know like a very important dagger that was meant to use to murder bran john snow like he becomes sort of like a goalless kind of uh character a hero without a mission yeah that is and that'll be an interesting thing to to keep an eye on as we go into these final three episodes because you know if he if he doesn't have uh, a particular thing to uh, to stop in the north now you know he's going to be out of his element going down to the south to deal with cersei yeah he never cared for he's it. he's never been invested in in what's happened down there or any of those politics you know he's always just been for the north and uh 
so it's going to be something to 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 watch you know does does some sort of like rift form between him and Daenerys because Daenerys starts to mistrust him and see him as a rival um mm-hmm. and yeah you kind of have to question like is game of thrones essentially a show about politics or is it a show about the fantasy kind of like what you were saying and does does the is the point that like humans humans will team up to fight a com- common enemy up until that common enemy is destroyed and then we'll just all be terrible to each other afterwards are we all essentially like fallible creatures who will uh, who will screw over our neighbor at uh, with, with zero provocation you know to get something for ourselves yeah that's a great point because i wonder if it's kind of bound to its title if you if you had titled this show a song of ice and fire like the book series then clearly the night king is the end goal like the fire of Jon Snow and the Red God versus the the winter that's always coming. But if you call it Game of Thrones, then it becomes a political drama. So maybe because it called itself Game of Thrones, it was beholden to the drama of the Iron Throne, even though in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So maybe maybe something that might happen, uh, and this is total speculation, is just that like, you know, Jon Snow will try to back up uh, Daenerys to a certain point and he'll end up giving his life to help advance her to the throne because he he kind of doesn't understand the politics or doesn't understand what it takes to uh, or why it's important to to do any of that and he'll stick by his his ideals and it'll it'll eventually kill him because it's not his fight did you ever get the feeling that the showrunners specifically wanted to undermine and subvert people's expectations for this episode, kind of like The Last Jedi. Oh, like they kind of turned the Night King into Snoke? Not the Night King to Snoke, but just like making you think that Jon Snow was going to be the hero or that a lot of characters were going to die, but they end up not dying, even though like there are multiple scenes where they're just being overrun by dead walkers and there's no way they would ever survive. Like how could a Sam character like Sam survived that kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure I've seen, I saw Brienne and Jamie get run over by like two or three times because there's a lot of plot armor in this episode. There's a lot of plot armor. So clearly they, they have something in, in mind for a few of those characters. Maybe that, that they survive what they thought they were going to die here, but they'll eventually just die in a really mm-hmm. boring way later on. Yeah. Um, so certain characters, it makes sense. So for like Jamie, it makes sense because he has to face Cersei one last time. The Hound makes sense because he has to fight the mountain. But a lot of other characters where their character arc is complete and Game of Thrones had had made a habit of killing off characters whose arc is complete and their existence serves no further purpose to the story. It didn't really happen in this episode. And I, I talked to my buddy after this, but there's a big cross section of fans that really enjoy this episode. And there's a big cross section of fans that really didn't. But the fans that didn't enjoy this episode, I feel like anecdotally are the ones that have seen this show from season one where they understood the politics and where it came from. And then there's this new subset group of new fans that are just in it for the visuals and like sort of the the sort of like, I guess, zeitgeist of human like shared experience. Did you ever get that? Did did I ever like, uh, do you ever feel that like the, the new fans, the newer fans that join in into Game of Thrones later on are very different from the fans that hopped on in season one? Oh, yeah. Well, I imagine I imagine you could probably say that about a lot of franchises. But yeah, there's uh, there's probably people who, you know, they're more in the moment viewers who aren't, aren't really thinking too mm-hmm. much about the character dynamics or or the um, character arcs or the profit that this the little clues that this season has laid down yeah they're probably not getting too caught up in the mythology of the actual world yeah i mean i'm sure that's that's definitely going on i don't 
but I mean, I think that's the that's the value of uh, finding people that watch the show in the same way that you do and then you know watching it together with them i'm just i'm not in it for the cheap thrills and that's what this episode feel like that's all are you with like three episodes left though if you think about it you got one more episode to basically clean up the battle you got another episode directed by sapochnik so that's going to be a big battle against the golden company i'm assuming yeah and then the last episode to wrap everything up sort of like an epilogue so i mean if the night night king comes back i wouldn't be surprised but I'm pretty sure he's done for good. I think there's just not enough time to revisit his storyline. I think making Bran become the Night King would just be too much of a left turn because they they haven't, I think, sowed or planted enough seeds for that idea to happen, even though they've hinted towards it. Yeah, they're, they're, and those were like those were more like theories than yes. stuff that was really backed up by scenes from the from the episode. But I gotta say, like, I'm really disappointed that game of thrones is heading into this direction and ending on such so far on such a soft note i want to kind of see it play out because i'm not fully i haven't fully set my mind against it yet but this we could be very well headed towards a a finale for a major show that is going to be divisive for the next you know however many years you know we could be looking at like the ending of the sopranos or um, yeah something or something more like breaking bad or you know uh so which is kind of cool because even even if the episode itself is not satisfying or it can't deliver on everyone's expectations, at least we're we've got something to talk about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the show must go on. By the way, so Rob and I have sort of done these series of posts about characters who have died. It's called His or Her Watch Has Ended. Um, we didn't get as many character deaths as we thought we would. Yeah, not quite as much writing as we expected. Mm-hmm. Right. But go to the website, kinetoscope.ca. Check it out. We have Beric Dondarian, Jorah Mormont, Leanna Mormont, the Night King, Theon Greyjoy, and Melisandre. And we kind of briefly discuss what each of these characters brought to the show and their journeys and how important they were to the plot. More of these coming soon. And by the end of the show, maybe everyone will have a post about how their watch has ended. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Because we will be doing them on uh, not just people who die, but also characters who have their their story resolved in some yes you know positive or maybe not so positive way at least they what if they survive we'll still write them up no but i think that about does it for for this episode uh, as jason was saying head on over to kinetoscope.ca where we've got a six posts so far from the his slash her uh, watch has ended series uh, talking about character endings on the show we've also got a brand new roundup of recommendations for netflix canada if you're uh, here in the north with us and there's also a review of Avengers Endgame uh, live on the site, uh, which uh, gets into all of the juicy spoilers uh, that uh, we discussed here on the the episode and a little bit of uh, extra criticism as well. Head on over and check that out. But coming to you from Toronto, my name is Robert Snow. And my name is Jason Chen from Vancouver. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time.